Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code STAPLE20. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Parker said, sometimes with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Let's find out. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name is Stuart Wright and welcome to the show, Gareth ellis Ullman. Good afternoon or morning or whenever you're listening to this podcast. And whatever time zone that might be. Exactly. International. Now, last time we spoke and the first time you came on the podcast, you were a producer of... Kajagi was what we were doing, which uh, I noticed has changed his name. It the... has, yeah, yeah. It went out in the States as Kilo 2 Bravo. Mm. Um, apparently the uh, US distributor had a concern over whether people would be able to stand in line for the tickets and pronounce the name properly. So uh, I don't know what that says about their uh, estimation of the audience. But yeah, Kilo 2 Bravo was the name it went out in the States. Uh, that 2014, man, that seems yeah, yeah. like a scary amount of time ago. Yeah, two minutes ago. Now you were a producer <laughs> then. Now I'm not talking to you just as a producer today. So do you want to tell people what your role is, at the, the, a role you've took on that we're talking about today? Abs- absolutely. So uh, you are uh, with us live from the bowels of uh, our Euston HQ of an organisation called Screen Skills. And I am now the head of film and animation for Screen Skills. So the producing career is on a momentary pause um, whilst I um, put my shoulder to the work that the organisation's uh, doing here. And basically, the screen skills whole remit is um, finding pathways in for those that have an interest in working in the screen industries and then developing them once they are on the inside. So I have two particular measures. I'm heading up quite a big initiative, which is uh, a BFI-funded passing down national lottery um, investment to find, train and retain 15,000 new starts and to upskill 10,000 of those that are already in the industry. So by the time my time comes to an end here, there will be 25,000 people who hopefully I've, uh, I've, I've helped. Brilliant. Or, we, or we've helped. We've, it's, it's not just me, um, <laughs> but there's also not legions and legions of people here. I think that a lot of people sort of, as soon as you start talking about NGOs, charities and stuff like that, mm. they imagine sort of banks and banks and banks of mm. uh, people running around. But you've been here with us today. You know, we're, we're fairly sort of fleet of foot. We do a lot of work across a lot of different areas. Um, but yeah, I'm, 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 I'm here at Screen Skills. And, and that was, I mean, for those that might know, this was formerly Creative Skillset, wasn't it? It was, yes. Yeah. So Creative Skillset had run for a number of years and had uh, basically a, a very similar remit, but it was slightly broader. It also included uh, industries such as fashion, such as print journalism and radio. And so the decision was made 
um, a year and a half ago was to rebrand, to rebrand, relaunch the screen skills and basically focus the offering down on uh, just the screen industries. So irrespective of the size of the screen that you might consume the content by, um, it's very much the screen industry. So film, high-end TV, so primetime dramas mm. such as Peaky Blinders, uh, non-scripted, shiny floor TV shows, um, kids, animation, VFX and games. So that's the that's the seven sectors we serve. Blimey. I mean, I, 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 was, a, I was a beneficiary of, uh, the, of what was Create Skill Sets. I, did the, I got chosen for the sources to script development program which is located abroad which means there's a lot of expense getting there mm. and there's a lot of expense of the course it's quite prestigious but it's not cheap well and do you know what it's such a brilliant thing Stuart I mean we keep coming across alumni of various different schemes both in the former guise of skill set or other programs that we funded as skill set so mm. inside pictures which we supported for a very long time and I, I saw you recently there and you know that's got alums like Rob Wallach who's now you know president of Focus Features he's someone that went through inside pictures and there was some creative skill set investment there to, to help that particular initiative and program so there are a lot of people that are out and working in the industry that have had some benefit from either the organisation as formerly known, mm. the creative skill set, or uh, our bright, new, shiny, pink screen skills. Mm. Now, before we go into some specifics about what's to come up in terms of initiatives you've got that you'd like to promote and we'll bring to attention the listeners, I thought we might sort of do a little bit of a little recap, given we're just, on the, we're just at the end of the awards season. Uh -huh. um, and uh, you're not one that's... Uh, it, no, the, the awards isn't unknown to you being a, being a former Oscar winner. Well, former Oscar winner and voter for BAFTA and the Academy and BIFA and the PGA Awards. So, yeah, awards and uh, everything that goes with it are something I've been living and breathing for the last few months. So what, what I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to ignore the fact that Parasite is the huge news of the awards season. But what, what for you have been have been some of your highlights as to what's, what nominees or, or winners? Well, Parasite absolutely popped for me. And in fact, I was on an interview with uh, BBC Radio London and I was asked to uh, to give my... Uh, I'm not allowed to give a tip, obviously, because we were still in, the, uh, <laughs> still in the throes of voting. But in terms of where I thought attention should be paid, I thought that Parasite was going to do something exceptional. And on the night, I think, you know, the jury was very much out to see whether they would do it. And it was a, a real re re revelation. I was at an event in London and I think it came as a genuine shock and surprise for a lot of people that were there. Um, so I think, you know, that's, that was really healthy and, and, and helpful. Um, other things, I, you know, in, for a variety of different reasons and different ways, I enjoyed Queen and Slim. Um, other films I particularly enjoyed, I thought Midsummer last year was really, really strong. Um, you know, there was the big, easy picks, you know, the 1917s and Judy, which are beautiful films. And I know we're going to talk about the trainee ships and mm. stuff like that a little bit later. And they were two films that really supported our work here. Um, Joker was a juggernaut for mm. sure and I, I bumped into a few of the team at a couple of events in the run up to the voting and, and got to sort of catch up on old friendships It's so. interesting that both Joker and Parasite I mean different economies of scale but both were juggernauts post their world premiere yeah. Parasite at Cannes, yeah. Joker at Venice yeah just never left the news, did they, once yeah, once yeah. they premiered, for, yeah. for all different reasons. And interestingly enough, they both had to sustain. I mean, obviously, you know, yeah. Venice falls quite early in the awards season, you know, um, and can even even furthermore, you know. So I can't, and probably one of your listeners will be able to cite the exact example, but I can't remember a Palm d'Or winner that would then go on and um, hold on to that mantle of, uh, of interest all the way through to the Oscars. I can I mean, only think of Pulp Fiction. 
And that's 94. You know what? Yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely bob on there, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I think it was a really unique thing. And, I, you know, I think Bung Jo summed it up brilliantly when he picked up the Golden Globe and talked about the fact that people's inability to read one inch of text at the bottom of the screen was just, you know, being a blocker to them enjoying all sorts of world cinema. And I think that was quite a, uh, um, a, a subtle rap across mm. the knuckles. Uh, well, not too subtle, but, but elegant, let's say. Um, so that was good. And then, I, you know, as ever, I always am keenly interested in how the craft awards and the technical awards are contested. So, you know, not wanting to overlook Roger Deakins, you know, two on the bounce, um, yeah. having struggled for so many years to get yeah. the nod on, on one. It's, ama- it's amazing yeah. that renaissance of him, like, he, he, he saw Daniel Villeneuve through that Sicario, his sort of first English language movie. Yeah. And then it's been no, I mean, it's weird to think of, like, because he's not a junior. Yeah. Daniel Pierce, he's yeah, yeah. no looking back since for that Yeah, moment. no, I mean, it's, it's, been, it's been amazing. And I thought, you know, there was really good representation across a lot of the craft awards this year. You know, wonderful to see the first female composer win on Joker. Mm. Oh, sorry, because you have to be precise about this. The first sole name only female winner mm. of the best score. Um, but I thought, you know, so I thought it was, it was, a, you know, it was a really interesting year. I mean, it can't be ignored, um, you know, the background to what the awards played out against this year. Um, I think in terms of both BAFTA and Oscar, um, you know, rightly so, keen attention was paid to the, the lack of diversity mm-hmm. in terms of uh, nominees. But something I was really keen to... I've done quite a bit of press over the last few weeks and I've tried to remind people that the awards are just the end point in a process and a process that sometimes starts seven, eight years previous. And it's not just about those that we nominate or pick to shine a spotlight on and during awards season. It's, you know, who are we the people, who are we allowing to tell their stories? Who are we casting? What are the stories we're choosing to tell? Who are we permitting and financing films to be told? So, you know, whilst I, I encourage the inspection that's now happening around how the awards are set up, you know, I just keep on reminding people that they are an endpoint, and it's about making sure as far back into that sort of value chain of seeing films go into production that we're being as careful at the outset as we now are starting to be at the end point, mm. if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would you say what kind of reasons to be cheerful from a UK film point of view? Wins. You know, it's always good to see some wins up there. Um, I, I, you know, enjoy the fact that uh, a number of the projects were either shot or posted in mm. the UK. Um, it was great to see, you know, certain talent recognised that's very British talent. Um, and I think, you know, BAFTA's always sort of, you sort of feel like they're probably going to go for the for the home win a little bit. But um, to see that, you know, to see a number of really exceptional British filmmakers and talented technicians and talented craftspeople get mm. recognised, that's always the the the, the boon for me. Because I mean, you pick on something interesting there that we that often cover with, with the directors and writers that come on who, who tend to point out quite clearly films are not made by them they're made mm-hmm. by a whole suite of people from the from the smallest production to the you know to the to the minor studio productions it's it's an it's an army of collaborators isn't absolutely it? and it's a, you know it's a collegiate collaborative effort you mm. know you will find that like any group activity you're only as strong as your weakest link and that doesn't matter whether that's a sports team taking the field at the weekend or whether it's a film crew shooting or whether it's an orchestra that's playing together and I'm running out of metaphors now <laughs> um, but yeah you know it's 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 really important that there's strength and depth across the whole mm. whole crew you know 
I mean, I've, I've obviously we, we, we'll talk about screen skills in a bit, but one of the things I share with a lot of the school children I go and talk to is that, you know, because everyone has that easy to identify recognisable grades, the above mm. the line, you know, the director, the producer, the writers, yeah. the actors, you know, and all of that, hugely important, you know, this isn't to decry that. But I share this anecdote where I'm, I'm with the kids and I'm sort of saying, well, OK, on the King's speech, we employed 456 people. There was one director, there was four producers, <laughs> there's one writer and everyone else had proper jobs. And we then and then we then talk about those proper jobs of construction and grip and electrical and costume and makeup and edit and camera mm. and locations and facilities, vehicles and chef and, you know, all of those things. Um, so, yeah, it's an army. You know, there's a reason that it's called a, a unit. You know, it's, it's an army. It's been fascinating. I think it was uh, Fantasy Fair have been doing insights into those the the rest of the jobs that are associated with making a film. So you had like the gaffer on Joker mm. showing you how to light a room, right? And it was it was amazing, brilliant Just, insight. And, and you're thinking, yeah, this is the, well, the world's changed in terms of what. Into and Nova. how many people have seen that title roll up at the end of a movie and go, what's what's one of them then? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know. So I think anything that we can do to try and demystify mm. um, the industry, and it is important as we try and move towards a more inclusive time that we open up those pathways in. And part of it is the, you know, we don't want it to lose the mystique. We want it to feel like it continues to be something very exciting and vibrant and mm. special. But in the same way, you know, we don't want to continue to just use quite exclusive language. You know, it's, it's very easy to fall into this lexicon of willfully complex um, descriptors and it just mm. sort of becomes a barrier to people that are, are on the outside of that so we're always really careful with the work that we do here to use very open language and if people are wondering what a gaffer is or a best boy you know or a loader or, or, or any of those things that we have you know the ability to, to, to signpost them to what those jobs are. Mm. Now that gives me a lovely segue um, to uh, to talk about um, where within the UK film industry do you, do you think representation and diversity is improving the most sort of going forward? And, and, and in that sense, where and how do you think improvements can be made to increase representation and diversity with relation to what screen skills are, are trying to do? Well, I, I think, you know, we, we have a very specific role in, in trying to affect change here. And we are very much about filmmakers and the technicians that, that, that make the content mm. and I'd, I'd like to sort of broaden it so it doesn't feel like it's a film specific issue you know tv faces similar challenges in all of its forms mm. um and the wider screen industries face these challenges of diversity and inclusion um in terms of what we can do i think better awareness is always helpful so we've put a lot of effort into uh, developing our careers pages on our website so people can go and look at any number of the 350 plus different jobs and so you're talking awareness of the person thinking what could I do yeah yeah, yeah. okay got you. so there, there's that that awareness I mean we, we did some interesting work last year where we um, actually had some ads run in cinema it dropped they dropped alongside Rocket Man Secret Life of Pets Aladdin um, and they were little 30 second stings that were jobs that people might not instantly have recognized or known about you know an assistant director so Charanpreet Dami who's a brilliant third AD we featured a 30 second spot mm. about her and how she'd got into the industry in fact she had 
actually started off as a teacher in prison and decided that she wanted to explore film and filmmaking. Yeah. You know, we uh, we interviewed and and highlighted the work of a young camera assistant, a, a girl from um, from the northeast of England called Lauren Byrne. And you know, Lauren quite often turns up on set, and she's the only female in the camera department. But she's chosen that that's where her skill is and her niche. So it was exposing people through the cinema ads to the fact that this world exists mm. and that there are people that look and sound like you at play and at work mm. in this in this industry. I think there's always a slight fear that it feels like the screen industries are only there for the privileged few, you mm. know, and um, it's not the case. I mean, look, I mean, my own personal story, which has been often heard now, but at the age of 14, I was told to ready myself to go and work in the Mars Confectory um, the factory on Slough Trading Estate because that was the big local employer, a mm. careers teacher, even though I had a Saturday job at Pinewood, didn't know how to advise me to go and become an AD or a film producer or a director or other. So we're really sort of being very careful about making sure that we're, we're highlighting opportunity and what the pathway is in and how people can can approach the work. So I think we're, we're doing our bit at the front end to make sure that we market mm. the opportunity. Um, and then there, there's, there's certain initiatives that are designed to be enablers to get people um, into into the industry, you know, probably the the Rolls Royce of those is our trainee finder program, mm. um, which is just we're in the midst of interviews at the moment, but we will take on 150 new starts, all of whom we will then manage for their first year of their career, finding them work opportunities, finding them placement. We put quite a lot of training and investment into them. We do a heavy induction process, so productions that are taking our trainees know that they are capable and um so and, you're facilitating so you're yeah. facilitating the recruitment of trainees yeah. for producers and production companies exactly yes okay that's brilliant yeah so so that comes about through um basically any any production that's either shooting or posting in the uk we mm. get to hear about and we make contact um and we lobby them to pay into our skills fund mm. so there is a skills fund that exists that helps augment the money that we get from National Lottery and the BFI. Um, and that's put to use in, in developing our trainee finder program and a variety of other initiatives. But basically any any production that's shooting in the UK, we politely ask and hopefully make a strong commercial case for them um, volunteering 0.5% of the equivalent of the UK tax credit. Um, so on a big, big film, you know, big Warner Brothers film or whatever, that caps out at about 58 grand or so. Mm -hmm. um, and that gets you a lot of weeks with a lot of trainees, you know, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. other, and other um, levels of support like training and stuff like that. So that's been one of the things I've been trying to do since I've been here is proving the commercial value of this engagement. You know, although we are a registered charity and all of those things that go uh, along with that, what we're trying to, you know, prove repeatedly to industry is that, you know, the commercial relationship with us in terms of putting some money in is often repaid and then some in terms of access to trainees and training and mm. and help and support. So, yeah. Yeah, because it's because I guess if your focus is making films or TV, your focus won't necessarily be on training and development. So the idea that you could take some of the headache away from them to help... <laughs> Give Absol access to people who are at the beginning of their careers. Absolutely. I mean, we're there to try and help de-risk it for, for productions. You know, we recognise that a lot of productions have high ambition to giving people opportunity, mm. but don't maybe have the time to do that recruitment search or invest the time in terms of development prior to them starting on 
the projects. I mean, what we do do with the productions is put in place a training plan during the time that the trainees are with the production. It's not that they're just there to fetch and carry teas and coffees and, you know, hold traffic in the mm. driving rain. It's about them being really useful members of, of crew. So um, a training plan is, is put into place. And, you know, we, we have a lot of producers talk very highly of the quality of our trainees mm. and will often come back to us time and time again. You is, know. It, is, it, is it an age thing or is it a new entry thing? That you're, you're in so terms basically, of the 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 limit in terms of trainee finder is that we do ask that people come to us with two credits. Now, those two credits could be a student film, it could be a little pop promo, it could be a bit of. It, we're, we're fairly relaxed, but we do say we want some knowledge because obviously taking someone that has no idea mm. of the of, of the world of film or TV or the other screen industries um, is is a bit of a standing start to get them going. So what we do do is um, is ask that they come to us with with two credits. Now those two credits sometimes mean that they're fairly fresh out of university or fairly fresh even out of school. In some certain stance yeah. in some circumstances we even have people that are transferring in from other lines of work you know mm. we've had chippies that have stopped building kitchens in Uxbridge and are now building sets at Pinewood you know we've had a lot of transferers um, yeah. one of the things I've been really keen on which I think you uh, you clocked on my Facebook page, but I've been doing uh, an initiative with Help for Heroes post Kajaki. Mm. I sort of recognised that, well, hang on a minute, if you can keep a tank running in the desert, pretty much you can service a peewee dolly or a crane. So yeah. we did this thing called Grips for Heroes. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's gone on to see six um, six veterans come through the scheme uh, and become full-time trainee mm. grips, you know, which is great. you know. And we're doing a, a thing with location managers at the moment with Help for Heroes and services to film. Again, so it's looking at those opportunities where it's not just about the newbies that are coming through. You know, it's creating opportunity for those that want to transfer yeah, in or find other opportunities. Because skill, skills and competence are just that, aren't they? Yeah. What you said at the, at the start about this idea of the film and TV business has this sense of mystery that somehow mm. it's all exotic, it's all... Impenetrable. It's all celebrity, when yeah. really yeah. you need a guy or a woman who can who can put together... A cabinet. Yeah. That's yeah. that's not exclusively film and TV skills yeah. by any yeah. stretch. Yeah. You need someone to get or, a generator going. Yeah, or someone that can chop an inch off the bottom of a door so you can run <laughs> cables through it, you know, or someone that when they hold traffic outside of a location isn't going to get a bop on the nose because they've been impolite, you know. There's all sorts of skills that <laughs> yeah, can be, yeah, yeah. be put to put to good use. So um what's the um screen skills select? What's that? Okay, so uh, Screen Skills Select is an endorsement program. It builds on the legacy of a pre-existing uh, initiative called the TIC. So some people will be aware that within the HE higher education um, community, there are a lot of courses out there. I think in the last time that we checked, it was something like 15,000 degrees that have the word film, TV, media or similar in the title. Mm. And obviously that is incredibly difficult to navigate, you know, in terms of parents, guardians, um, those that wish to study themselves or those that wish to promote study. You know, how do you navigate those 15,500 courses and decide what's good? So we had we had a, a program called The Tick where we uh, ran a sort of accreditation program and we've now it developed that, we've enhanced it. It's great 
grown to become something called Screen Skills Select. Screen Skills Select is an endorsement program where initially working with higher education, although it will branch out into further education as well. Um, any institution that's running a course that they wish to claim is of benefit to industry, of benefit to the student, and they have a, an enhanced op an enhanced chance to then find work afterwards if they're making those bold claims, they can approach us for, for a form of endorsement and become a, a Screen Skills Select course. And what we do is... Um, interrogate the course syllabus, interrogate the faculty and the staffing, um, work out their proximity to industry in terms of how they engage with industry, what they're actually teaching, how they're actually teaching. And the idea is that it becomes a sort of quality kite mark for those that are looking at higher mm. education and just need some helpful steering as to where the good courses are. Um, and we've designed a, a, a really sort of helpful portfolio of, of work with the, the, the HE institution. So it's not just about putting the course itself to rigor, but it's it's running additional value-add things, like there's a, a, a employability workshop that the students can go on. Um, we do uh, a once a year, the plan is to do a once a year congress that brings together all of the endorsed uh, course leaders to talk about good practice and how things can be improved. We can act as the broker to get industry representatives to go into HE institutions and talk, you know. So mm. so trying to get more out of that space than just um, just maybe, you know, what's gone before. So for, for anyone listening to what, was, what we've been talking about, um, the first point, point of contact would be to check the website and I'll put links in the in the show notes. Absolutely. I mean, basically go to the website. Everything's on there. There's a, a really good spread of all the careers activity in terms of the outreach programs, the things that we're doing um, out and about the, all over the mm. UK. There's a directory of the Screen Skills Select courses, so you can go and check those out and see who, who and where's credited. And then all of the other initiatives um, that are available to, to those that wish to apply are also hosted there. So our mentoring program, mm. our bursary, bursaries initiative, Everything is hosted on the on the website. Um, and the other thing that you can do, it's not just a case of come on by, drop by, have a look, and then um, pop off. I have to mind my words there. Um, but you can actually create a screen skills profile, um, which you can add a picture to. You can put in some of your credits, some of your aspirations, what you've been up to. And then within that community, you can actually follow each other. So, for example, I have a profile there. If people want to see what I'm up to, um, then, you know, people can add me as a sort of a, a, as a follower. So we're building a community of, of, of people within that Screen Skills website, and I think it's currently about 24,000 users. Fantastic. Which is good. I should yeah. get myself signed up. Yeah, do so. Do so. The other thing is that we want to use it. We want to use that uh, community as a mean by, means by which that we can sort of signpost our activity so that they get to know hmm. first in terms of what's coming up. Yeah. Um, so I think it's what you've already talked, you already mentioned this, but is, is the, the Film Skills Fund, is that mm -hmm. what you were talking about, is, is what mm -hmm. you draw from the production from the productions that on their half percent of the... Yeah, half percent of the, the good spend of a UK tax credit or the equivalent voluntary donation. And that, and that gets pooled together with other, other contributions you get from lottery and stuff. And yep, that's so we have two other main revenue streams. One of them is the BFI handing down National Lottery um, investment, and we also have a relationship with Arts Council England. Mm. And the combined benefit of those... Uh, three revenue streams on the film side yeah. basically supports all the activity we deliver here. We have equivalent skills funds in the other sectors, so high-end TV, kids, animation, mm. and other. Um, so, yeah, so we feel that, you know, industry are engaged with us and they're doing their part to promote training. So for the for the person looking to, either the, new, the young person looking to start out or the new entrant, 
looking to make a shift in in career um, or, or or industry, as it were. What what sort of with your with your background and experience, what would be just some general advice okay, for someone for someone entering the film or TV industry? The top tips, as it yeah, were. Yeah, yeah. What would be, what would be yeah. your three? What three things do you always have in mind yourself that you think that other people would find useful to have in yeah, mind? Yeah, I mean, I, I think. Um, Gosh, there's quite a few that are fairly unglamorous, like, you know, do your research. Um, and they're in this time where information is so readily accessible, there's no excuse not to do, do yeah. your research. So I think mm. being sort of well informed is very important. I think another thing is to recognize that you will need to be resilient. It's not an easy pathway. Um, it will require hard work, dedication. Um, you know, you are hoping and aspiring to join a working community of I think at last count about 211,000 across the UK that are actively working in the screen industries and if you think about that as a proportion against the the UK population mm. not to say it's elitist or out of reach I'm just saying you know just like you know if I wanted to be a professional rugby player I know that there's only X amount of clubs that are available mm. for pro professional contests. I don't, I don't upset you I, I think your time's gone Gary. well yeah you know those those are very very sad, sad I don't think Liverpool are calling me either <laughs> But no, so it is. Uh, so I think, you know, some resilience and, and recognizing that being resilient isn't just about um, sort of being strong externally. It's also about being strong internally. And there was quite an interesting piece of research that was released just today from the film and TV charity about mm. sort of mental health issues around working in the screen industry. So I do encourage everyone to stay mentally healthy, you know, yeah. find find means by which you can you can manage your, your mental health well. Um, so do your research, recognise that it's going to be hard work and a, and a bit of a slog. Um, and I always find, you know, having a professional demeanour is really, really important. And I know that sounds a little bit cringeworthy, but recognising it's a tricky industry to get into and recognising that there's a lot of other people who want to do it, you know, it's really important that you maintain a sort of um, a professional outlook. It is about trying to craft a career. Mm. And it's not the case that... I think everyone sort of imagines if you to work in film and TV, you, you're like an extra in glee. It's all high fives and doing handsprings down the, the corridor. It's not like that. And there are as many people that are not that extrovert yeah. and introvert. And there are as many different jobs as there are different types of people. By a professional demeanor, I don't mean you have to be up and on and in your in someone's face all the time. But it's just that it's things like, you know, following up on emails when they've said, oh, nothing for you now. Come back to me in a couple of months. You know, mm. well, make sure you, you follow up. It's that sort of professional approach I think is 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 required makes makes a whole lot of sense <laughs> now if I can just deviate slightly onto a couple of couple of hot topics that oh, are looking yes, about at the moment sure. um obviously we, we're recent we're, we're, we're talking in February 2020 so we're just recently after the UK election and the uh, 31st of January's passed mm -hmm. what what role if any is is screen skills gonna have in terms of preparing UK film people with regards to what what whatever brexit is yeah. Next in 2021. Well, I think the important thing to remember is that we look inwards. So what we're readying ourselves for and hopefully providing a helpful ally to productions mm. and others is making sure we continue to nurture indigenous talent and those that um, have opportunity to in a time where maybe there are opportunities that are created because we can't um, backfill jobs by just turning to the EU to, to bring um, people in. Uh, it's making sure that the indigenous 
talent is developed and continue to be worked for. I think in terms of advice for those that own production companies or are looking at sort of co-production opportunities and what Brexit will mean in terms of financing a film, mm. you know, the BFI is your first port of call there, really. They have a uh, an external facing department which is headed up by a guy called Neil Peplow and that is there to help advise those that have British content that they're looking to either co-produce mm. or, or to shoot to shoot abroad. Um, I mean, I, th I think, look, it, it's it is going to be an interesting time and I don't want to undermine or belittle the change that's likely to come. But the film industry has faced a lot of challenges for many, many years. There's been the arrival and the disposal of all manner of different sort of tax credits and government support. There's been the arrival of various new technologies and formats that every time that something new arrives, we all think it's the death knell of cinemas and it's all over. Mm. You know, we talk at great length about the arrival of the disruptors and the streamers and is that going to shutter cinemas? And then you look at the box office receipts and you're actually, you know, it's it's meeting and exceeding where it was last year. So I think um, we're quite resilient as an industry. We're quite robust. I mean, mm. it's never easy, you know, I mean, crumbs. It's, it's never been easy to make movies full stop. And mm. I think the challenges change and shift. Um, but I don't think we're necessarily in a, a more worrying time than we have been five, ten years ago. Although I was, I will, there was one, I'm going to slightly unpick what I've just said. There was some one point which I did worry about in the latest BFI stats, and I've gone on record with this, that, you know, we have seen a downturn in the amount of investment that's gone into British independent film last year. Mm. Uh, last year showed a 48% drop. Now, there is still, a, you know, £175 million out there that was going into British independent film, which is, which is great. But it is a worry for me because I think there is likely to be an impact on skills and training because a lot of the smaller, lower-budget Indies are where you prove yourself. You know, they're mm. the, the nursery slopes to, to go on and work on bigger and uh, better budgeted fare. So I'm d I do hope that, you know, the right and appropriate departments at government and others are looking at that downturn and thinking, hang on a minute, you know, that that's significant. In one year, to have dropped 48% in terms of indigenous investment is is a worry. And I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's the case of, well, everyone's just shooting stuff for Netflix or Apple or Amazon now. I don't think it's the case that that drop in, you know, the drop there is e equal and equivalent to the drop over here or the increase over here. Mm. So um, there's, there's a couple of um, roundtables that are coming up quite soon where um, some key indies will be speaking about how we how we make sure we're continuing to encourage money and investment to come well, into Well, we've just space. had the producers roundtable before, haven't we? Did, we? Which, yes. which obviously builds on that that threat that you're talking about, really, and, and the reality for UK indie producers. Yeah, I mean, the, the startling statistic there was that most UK producers, even if they have productions that are running, will typically be, um, you know, extracting less than... I think it was 6,000, you know, £6,000 a project. Under three under three million pound budget meant that, you know, they would, they would flush sort of six grand. Now, you know, if you're in a on a film and it takes you a year to make it and get it out there, you know, living on six grand, if that's your sole source of income, is impossible. Mm. You, know, it, you know, it's, it's I don't know the maths on it, but it's probably equal if, if less than what state aid would be to support you. Um, and the fear there is obviously, you know, is it only those that are sufficiently independently wealthy to be able to suffer 
that that low wage will then get to stay in the industry. I mean, I very much hope not, mm. um, because I think some of the more challenging work and the brightest voices come from those that have had a, a you know an interesting and checkered um, life. You know, those are where the, the the really interesting stories come from. I feel you know. So just very quickly then, looking forward to what you've got, what dates you've got, or events coming. Is there anything that you want to that you're looking forward yeah. to, particularly yourself? What can, that what, you're what, what can we plug? What can we plug? Um, I don't want to. I don't want to say too much about something that might be been and gone before this goes out. Do you know when this goes out? Yeah, you can. We'll you, be very quickly. All oh, right. Okay. So there's a couple of things that are coming up at the end of the month. I I would really encourage people to uh, to to so come end up. of February. So end of February. So yeah. So let's talk. So there is on the Sunday the twenty third at the South Bank. The BFI are running a Find Your Future mm. uh, event. I'm talking on a panel and we're talking about skill shortages and the jobs that we're looking to try and fill in the industry. So that is eleven a.m on Sunday the 23rd mm -hmm. at the BFI South Bank and then on Friday uh, Thursday the 27th of February I'm up to Manchester and that is going to be the launch of our new immersive careers experience so I've just produced my first bit of VR and it's your first 10 minutes on set so you put the headset on you're met at the studio doors by the third AD she gives you a load of health and safety advice and you then go on to set and you can get to witness camera lighting sound hot, uh, costume makeup and hair video village construction um, and each of those interactions are based on what the pathway's in so mm. without ever having to leave the comfort of your seat you can be on stage L at Pinewood Studios watching a shoot go down so that's really exciting because that's a new bit of tech mm. and that's going to be launched on the Oculus store on the, on the tw by the 27th and of February. for those people listening details about this on the website we'll put links in the show notes so people can apply for tickets or brilliant to these okay, events. is that right cool. is that yeah, right yeah. yeah yeah no definitely so i think on the 23rd we'll point you towards the bfi on the 27th we'll point you towards the oculus store so those that can mm. can have the tech to download it and then the 28th is a biggie for us um, so we are going to be up in leeds for the launch of our center of screen excellence it is uh, a new approach to learning in terms of delivering education for those that may not be looking at degree level learning. So it's six craft courses. Mm. We've got courses which we've recruited into in costume, in construction, grip, electrical, production assistant, uh, makeup and hair and that is basically six months learning over a nine month period with work placements and others and that's been um, designed with the NFTS uh, the idea is that it's not a degree level lawn, a degree level um, certificate and um, we're really pleased with how the recruitment's gone for that. So we have an induction day on Friday the 28th, which I believe the secretary, the culture secretary, um, whichever one we end up with after today's reshuffle, yeah. um, is, is going to be up there. And the, and we've got guests from the BFI, from Screen Yorkshire, uh, from NFTS and ourselves. We're all going to be up there um, really celebrating what I think will, will be a very new way of um, creating opportunity for people to come into the industry. Well, look, just gives me to say thank you very much for giving us your time on the Britflix podcast, Gareth. Oh, brilliant. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Alan Parker said, sometimes with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? 
And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.